Welcome to the 88th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest who's dedicated his life to serving others, Reverend Andy Bales. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Reverend Bales' story was one I could not pass up. While many of us living with type 1 diabetes, hardcore quarantined, he hit the front line to serve the homeless community on Skid Row. He is truly a hero. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, today's podcast is brought to you with support from Courage Endures, whose mission is to help those with chronic illness navigate their lifelong journey through movement and community. They recognize, promote, and celebrate those who choose courage over challenge on their pursuit towards health, happiness, and optimal living. I think that they are the perfect partner for this specific episode. I mean, they really are. If you're interested in getting involved or sponsoring an episode, please contact Cynthia, Director of Partnerships and Development at Cynthia at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. She'd love to hear from you. Number two, I pumped the brakes. This is the second episode. I've had to say that. A little bit to not be a distraction while protesters were hard at work sharing the Black Lives Matter movement. Good on you for stepping up like Reverend Bales to make sure that everyone is treated fairly. Number three, please click on the Amazon banner on diabetesdailygrind.com before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way to keep the episodes coming. Number five, and finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review, and subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel. You can see uh, quite a few of my past uh, well, recent past uh, interviews. So if you'd like to see them in person and watch me laugh throughout most of them, uh, please, please sign in. <laughs> All right, enough rambling. Let's get started. Hi. Reverend Bells, can you hear me okay? Yes. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking time to, to chat with me. You let me know whenever you're ready. <laughs> All right. I'm 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 ready now. Look okay? Yeah. You look great. <laughs> I mean, lighting is always a nightmare for all of these, so you can do the best you can. So are you sitting in your office? Yes. Well, I just want to start by saying that um, I'm going to hopefully not cry through any part of this because um, I was watching, uh, what is it called, um, Regular Heroes series recently because mm. I like the feel-good stuff and um, at night, especially through all of this and dark times and whatnot. And I'd already like teared up twice on the episode and then you popped up. And when they mentioned diabetes, I was just like, oh, there's no chance I can make it through this without losing it. And um, so I just want to say uh, right off the bat, thank you for all that you do. And um, I want this podcast to be more about your life with diabetes. And then we'll set, you know, go into your, your profession because it's a, a unique one. Um, so do you mind sharing a little bit about your diagnosis story? 
So I can tell you, um, I was in eighth grade, I believe. Mm -hmm. I was I was practicing basketball in the morning, wrestling after school, and my parents took me out for a week of school. And I'd maybe, as I think back, like I struggled in Little League the spring before that mm -hmm. scene. So maybe maybe it had come months yeah. earlier and I just didn't recognize I I was always an all-star batter and everything and I was having a little trouble playing baseball and seeing well mm -hmm. and um, didn't have the energy. But then when fall hit, uh, playing both, probably the stress of playing both uh, basketball in the morning, wrestling after school and and growing a bunch. Right. Um, uh, then my parents took me out of school to go to Las Vegas. Hmm. My dad had a company trip and all the way on the trip, they couldn't make it 10 miles. And I said, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Please stop the car. And they were, everybody was laughing at me. My big brothers were laughing at me and why are you having to go to the bathroom so much? And I'm, I'm sure it wasn't every 10 miles, but it, it was, a lot. It was often. And, uh, um, I was thirsty. I can't, I, I can't describe how thirsty I was drinking every can of soda as quick as I could. And, right. and, uh, even eating sugar. I don't know what my body was trying to do to compensate for. And fortunately my first cousin, Tim and my first cousin, Joy, uh, they, they, unfortunately, I guess <laughs> they both had been diagnosed with type one diabetes. So, so there wasn't. You've got a family history, essentially. Yeah, it wasn't unrecognizable that that's possibly what it could be. But what do you do when you're on a trip to Las Vegas from Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> and you're with your parents and they're, you know, on a business trip? And so I struggled throughout that week. And I remember my brother and I getting out of the car and climbing a mountain. And um, my brother smoked a cigarette at the top, which he shouldn't have because he was 17 at the time. And I had to urinate. So we just kind of laughed, you know, like you're smoking a cigarette and I, I'm having to go to the restroom again. But uh, as soon as we got back to, to Des Moines, Iowa, my mom took me to the doctor. And um, Dr. Gangness, sweetest doctor you can imagine. And uh, sweetest voice. When I was little, he used to say, oh, Andy, you're not heavy. You're chunky. You're, you're chunky. You know, trying to make me feel better. But um, but he he looked my mom in the eyes after he did it, ran a test and he said Andy's a, Andy's a type one diabetic and he cried as he told my mom that I was a type one and um, my doctor and cried he, as well yeah and and he he told my mom that you know it means Andy's probably got twenty five good years left right which made my mom cry and back then you know. I don't know how old you are, but back then it was test tubes and dropping tablets in your urine. And right. <laughs> you, could, you could find out if you were one plus, two plus, three plus, or four plus, but you couldn't find any you know, <laughs> accuracy. Well, and I think you're one of the few people. So I've had diabetes for 37 years and I was diagnosed at age eight. So thankfully, technology, and I say that loosely, had just come far enough along that the meter came out shortly after I was diagnosed. I was peeing on sticks or, you know, like little, uh, what would look like a test strip. So you, you've had diabetes for 48 years, correct? Yeah, 48 years. And I've met a couple people who've had it longer than me. Judy Rainin, who's the uh, head of the 
uh, juvenile diabetes out here in LA. Mm-hmm. Had it for like 60 years. And my rabbi, Marv Grossberg, had me beat uh, over 60 years too, but he passed away recently. So I've had a couple of inspirations, but I've heard different stories that there aren't many of us who have had it longer than 50 years, but you do hear some remarkable stories. So, well, I think um, with that too, I just want to say, because like, like, and nobody, I think intentionally gave me a death sentence, but the way that it was all talked about and probably what they knew at the time. I mean, I, I, I thought if, if I lived 20 years with this disease and was still alive and still had my eyesight and, and my feet, then, you know, that would be awesome. So when I hit that yeah. 20 work and I was like, okay, what's next? I, so, I didn't think I'd live past 40, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm now and, 44. And I'm with you on that. And so I think it, I, I'm saying this out loud for the listeners is that it's, it's no longer a death sentence. I'm hoping that those, the language there has changed. I mean, I know that you've lived an incredible life. I have too. And I interview people that, you know, it's not, it's a minor setback at times. It can be completely annoying, <laughs> but um, it's not a death, death sentence. I, mean, yeah, I, was thinking, I was thinking today, if I'd had the diligence then and the, and the equipment then, right? Yeah. Fight it like I do now. I was just thinking, who knows how long yeah. I, I could have lived. I mean, who knows how long I can live now. I've had every complication you can imagine, and, and I can get into that a little bit. But I guess what changed in my life at that point came back. Um, had to drop one. I had to drop either basketball or wrestling. I stuck with wrestling and uh, tried to be in athletics throughout my life. And I was a pretty good athlete, four four sport athlete. But it did have it did have its effects on me even even beginning then. Okay, so when you were first diagnosed, did they just put you on like a daily injection, or were you giving two injections a day, or yeah, so when I started, it was a mix of regular and then what, oh, NPH. what was it? NPH, yeah, thank That's you. That's clear. I hadn't, even, I hadn't even thought about NPH for so long. Uh, <laughs> it was a mixture, a little bit of regular and mm-hmm. a little bit of NPH in the morning. And then I did the same at night, but less of each. And, yeah. uh, and I, I did not, you know, did not like the test tubes and the tablets and it certainly wasn't as easy as I do now testing myself 10 times a day. I, I've tested myself so much in my life. The FBI cannot fingerprint me. Well, I was going to say, that's I on the no list finger, for I you. I have no fingerprints. Why, why are you not wearing a constant glucose monitor, a CGM? I got so thin for a while that I could not have both the pump attached and the, the, the attachment of the, yeah. of the monitor because I didn't have enough fat or skin available. And I've had to move around when you have it for so long and you move around trying to find new sites, yeah. hard enough to find the one site <laughs> as, as well as ha- having to, I've got a little extra meat now, so I probably could go back to the, uh, I'm getting the ICM. You, I'm getting you a CGM. There are two different kinds right now. Dexcom, which is what I wear and I prefer because of the arrows, but also the Abbott Freestyle Libre. You can put it on the underneath side of your arm. That's where it's actually recommended. And I mean, everybody's got a little loose skin there. And so I hate the fact that you're testing 10 times a day and I, it's about quality of life. And I know you're helping other people have quality of life. So I'm going to make sure 
I'm going to heavily encourage you and work with these uh, companies to make sure that you get the devices that you need. Well, thanks. I'll give it. A, I'll give it another, another try. I I, I got to tell you one story. Yeah. I'm riding. I'm riding my bike around Lake Tahoe. This is uh, to raise money for for JDRF right. General Diabetes. And my wife and I are. It uh, starts off like 20 degrees in the morning and ends up 81 degrees in the afternoon. Mm. But we're riding around Lake Tahoe. We're climbing the biggest mountain climb, and I had a, a continuous monitor, and it starts alarming. Yeah. And it, I'm I'm at 26, yeah. and I'm I'm riding up the side of a mountain, and my blood sugar is 26. So we stopped, and I loaded up on candy, and then we continue the climb, and I got to the top, and I lost it all. I mean, I ate so much candy that. I upset my stomach and I lost it all over this mountain cliff and the, and the medical director of the whole ride tried to stop and say, you know, is he okay? Does he need to stop? And I, I looked at him like, no way I'm stopping. <laughs> and, and we, we continued the ride. We did the 73 mile loop um, and had a good time. But, but that's sometimes been the problem with the monitor too, is it alarmed with me. It alarmed yeah. often going low. Well, and that's the good thing. I mean, I think, it, that's that's saving people's lives, and when we yeah. talk about the the young people that are being diagnosed, when I say to parents, is the technology and the advancements in insulin therapy right now, their life is going to be way different than ours. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I wanted to get back. Thank you, thank you for getting back to that. So, my first cousin Tim, he did only last twenty one years. Right. Diagnosed at fifteen, we were best buddies, like a brother. And I had to go to his funeral when he was 36. My cousin Joy, I think, maybe made it 19 years with type 1. And yet here I am 48 years later. And the biggest thing is I adjusted to it. Yeah. Like I accepted it and became the chemist and the <laughs> coach and the trainer and the mathematician and whatever it takes to manage this. Therapist. And they they re, they just rebelled, right? You know, uh, I mean, I don't blame them. I yeah, I went through periods of that in my own teenage years, but but the biggest thing is accepting and taking advantage of all the technology that is available today and managing it like like you're in a battle. I mm -hmm. I I don't want to scare anybody off, but I go through a lot of battles like. I battle with gangs here. I battle with activists who attack us and, yeah. and, and battle with neighbors who don't want our facility in their neighborhood. And, right. and, and, you know, I, I have a lot of battles. Well, this is my number one continuous battle, mm -hmm. but I can tell you it, it helped a great deal to know how to fight a perpetual battle against an unseen enemy because when COVID-19 showed up here okay. on our door, uh, all, the, all the skills that I've been able to use to battle type 1 diabetes showed up to help protect our guests and our, our staff here at Union Rescue Mission. I think, so, that, yeah. yeah, people living with type 1 diabetes, we are on the front line every day in a different <laughs> capacity. And so for a lot of us, when things happen that are just, I don't know. I mean, 
you go into survival mode, but in a different way than I think the average person. So yeah, you go into battle mode, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm in, always in <laughs> always in battle mode. Well, and I don't want to harp on the fact that you've had a lot of complications, but I do want to touch on that. Um, and I want to start by saying that I was on a uh, Zoom T1D women's support group recently. Somebody else is hosting it. I just come in as Amber, not as Diabetes Daily Grind. And it was nice. And unfortunately, there was this young lady who has been diagnosed for less than a year. And she starts talking about, am I going to lose my eyesight? Am I going to whatever? And I was like, it, it, all you can do is your best. Just do everything you can. And it's like, yeah. I don't believe in living in fear. You right. never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I mean, there's, uh, it just, it broke my heart. I mean, it really yeah, broke she, my heart. She's, she's losing, losing the battle already in her mind. Yes. And expecting things like your body's so resilient. I can tell you, I'm proof. You've got <laughs> that, a lot going that, on. That, yeah, my body is extremely resilient. I've had maximum laser surgery, mm -hmm. but I went to the eye doctor the other day, and my pressure from my glaucoma is perfect, <laughs> and my eyesight is still good. Right. And and she couldn't see any trace of retinopathy. Right. Whatsoever because I am fighting the battle yeah. well. And, and um, although I've had a quadruple bypass, I, I, when you said, when you talked about, will I make it past 40? Well, at 37, I had my first heart attack. Wow. But I'm in better shape now than I was then. I had a couple of heart attacks and then a quadruple bypass. And like my cousin, my kidneys failed, but 20, 30 years later than his. And I went on dialysis and my wife stepped forward and gave me a kidney. Yeah. And now I'm, my kidney's great. My heart's great. I'm active. I'm, I'm going to ride my uh, hand cycle because I usually ride my bike from Skid Row to Sacramento every summer to raise money yeah. for Union Rescue Mission, uh, a tandem with my wife. And I ride with a, with a uh, artificial leg, a prosthetic, but but um, I can't do that because I need surgery, and you can't have surgery right now on your leg to, to get ready for my next prosthetic. So I'm going to use my hand cycle and ride 44 miles from the East L.A. County line to the beach to raise money for, for Union Rescue Mission instead of riding from 400 miles from Sacramento or from Skid Row to Sacramento. So I'm still very that? active. When What's start, that? When do you start that track? I usually start like right now. But I'm going to do, uh, do the ride to the beach on June 12th, 13th, and 14th, but I'll probably finish the first first day on the 12th. Uh, I think I can do 44 miles on my hand cycle. I've done 28, 30 before. So. That's incredible. Like, I, I can't imagine. I just interviewed a gentleman who hiked the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. And I'm like, what is, I mean, it's, <laughs> it blows my mind. Five and a half months, and he talks about, like, getting supplies at different spots and whatever. It's just, it, again, we're all... <laughs> We're all our own troopers. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. So, can you share what insulin and if if you can, and I'm, this is not a product push, but and what ins are you on a pump? Yeah, I'm on a pump with um, uh, um, what's the name of the insulin? Uh, well, hold on. Is your pump the, is it Medtronic? Is it Tandem? Yeah. Medtronic. It's Med Medtronic. Okay. And, and I, I I have a bottle over here. I just grabbed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of it right now. This is real life diabetes, people. We just deal with it and 
at some days you don't remember what insulin you take. <laughs> Humalog. Hum okay, so you're a Humalog. Okay. And it's, uh, you know, what's funny is when you're on Humalog, like when you, when you can't be on your pump, you have to switch the needles. Oh, but yeah. switching the needles with Humalog, then you need the, what's the other, Lente or what, what's the other long-lasting? There's there's Traceba, there's the basal. Yeah, so you, you need to mix with a long-lasting in order right. to, but, but on a pump, continuous Humalog, yeah, you don't need the the long lasting because it's just continuous flow. Yeah, and then you bolus bolus when you eat. And I I got on the pump once almost twenty years ago. Didn't work out real good in about six months. But then when I saw some of the complications that would come if I didn't get back on it, I just made the determination to figure it out and get back on it. Yeah, and do it. It's different for everybody. And let me ask you because, for, and for, do you still feel your low blood sugars? Oh, yeah. Uh, not, not always. I mean, I, I can get to 11 and still be functioning and talking just like I was biking at 26 and right. not feeling it. So it can get so low and not feel it and not even notice it. Yeah. And then other times when I hit 60, I'm in full symptom mode and sweating terribly and shaking and falling apart and not able right. to talk so it's it's a mystery still yeah well that's uh, again why i'm getting you on a cgm we're not going to have any more of that <laughs> we need to keep you around for a while so, so i think this is the latest medtronic is it a 670g yeah and the difference uh there's a there's a few difference differences that uh it will alarm a lot quicker, either yeah. high or, or low. Yeah. Well, and now with, and I'm, I'm not educated in this, so I'm going to speak about it loosely, but the artificial intelligence and all the, um, like now the pumps talk to the CGM and it will stop your bolus. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it really yeah. is artificial pancreas, the closest we're going to get for a while, but I, I love, I love that the race is on and, a lot of these companies are working well together, which I think is great as well because we all want quality of life and especially for the young ones that uh, they can have a normal life and what that looks like. So I want to go into the fact that, okay, when I was watching your, your, the series, uh, Regular Heroes, and it talked about you having your foot amputated. It wasn't, and I want you, you to clarify this, it wasn't because of diabetes. It was- no. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Can you explain that? Because I. Sure. So certainly not diabetes alone. Like yeah. I have neuropathy. Okay. And, and that neuropathy has allowed my feet to get beaten up. Sure. And uh, my left foot now is getting beat up too much because I'm depending on it to get around on crutches. Yeah. And, uh, but my foot had gotten beaten up <clears throat> and this will give you a little idea how crazy I am. But five weeks after my kidney transplant, I signed my wife and I up for a, a triathlon. And she got, she gave me the kidney and she got 10th among her age group uh, huh. in the triathlon. I got dead last, but I finished. And, uh, but walking with those beat up foot, beat up feet, I got a blister. And the blister turned into a wound. Yeah. And I almost had the wound healed, 
and was doing okay on a walking boot. But I, I stepped in human waste on Skid Row where I work. And when I went into the doctor with a huge infection, I, I, uh, I tried to fly to the East Coast. I couldn't stand in line because my foot hurt so bad. Yeah. And when I landed in, in Charlotte, um, you know, Raleigh, I had blood blisters all over my foot and had a hard time walking all weekend. And when I got back to LA, I had 104 temperature, blood poisoning, and I had gaping wounds in my foot. And when I went to the doctor, they said, that's from where you work. Yeah. It's E. coli, staph, and strep. So I had three flesh-eating diseases in my leg from, from human waste on Skid Row. And, but, you know, diabetes didn't help it any trying to heal. Well, from that day on, I was in a wheelchair and um, it never, it just got worse. So my, my foot just was destroyed. My, um, at mid tib, I, I, uh, two years later, they, they removed my foot and uh, I was, they removed my, uh, lower leg and um, they got me a prosthetic and mm-hmm. in February I got my prosthetic and I was learning how to walk on two crutches and my I had three days before my daughter's wedding I learned how to walk on one crutch and then the day she got married I I uh, performed her wedding and I and I uh, danced the first dance with her I walked her down the aisle performed the wedding danced the first dance with her and then I was dancing all night and then the next day I was back in a wheelchair because I overdid it. <laughs> but, uh, but it was not diabetes alone. And there were activists who attacked me and said, oh, you must be a heroin addict. Or, you didn't get that on Skid Row. And, oh, you, you lost it because of your diabetes. Don't say it was, you know, E. coli, staph, and strep found on this. But it, that, that was the doctor's uh, description of what happened. I don't know why anybody would ever combat that. I mean, like, that just sounds ludicrous to me that somebody would say eh, well there's a lot of people out there like that and i'm sorry that you got that type of negative attention especially. like i said i have many battles <laughs> <laughs> well so you have six children correct yes i have six children eighth grandchild on the way today we're going to celebrate my two-year-old little redhead isla's uh, birthday none of my kids have type 1 diabetes good None of my kids, none of my grandkids. Um, are you so, familiar with Are you familiar with TrialNet? No. That is okay, and I'm only because I don't have a family history, and I have two sisters. But um, it's a test that you can have done that lets you your family members know if they have. I'm going to say markers for the possibility and. Don't quote me on this medical community, but I think there are medications, oral medications you can take to prolong diagnosis. Wow. um, Coming on of it, huh? Yeah. So I'll email you some information and they're not paying me to say that. I just, and not everybody wants to know. I mean, you would be able to recognize and hopefully your family would too, if anybody came and they say it skips generations. I mean, and now we know, we don't know. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I diagnosed my own dad with type two years after I was a diabetic, right? Right. Well, my dad was behaving as if he had diabetes. Yeah. And the doctor had me check his blood sugar. It was 
three or four hundred. Yeah. And I called the doctor and he said, well, you don't have to bring him in right now. You know what to do. Put him on a sliding scale, give him some shots and bring him in Monday. So, so I diagnosed my dad and took care of him for a few days at home and then, and then took him to the doctor for a follow up. But, uh, is he doing okay? No, he, uh, he would have been 90 now. Um, but he died at 78 and, uh, he had a great, he had a great, wonderful life, but he chose, um, he had some complication he chose not to do dialysis mm. and, uh, passed away. He was my best buddy. Mm. Uh, and I think now, you know, one thing I didn't think about back then, my parents worked so hard, right? And I never thought about it. They worked so hard. And one of the things I figured out now as an adult, they worked so hard to make sure I had medical insurance. Oh, what a burden that must have been on them when my dad lost his job and I didn't even think about it. What a burden. Uh, he went bankrupt with his own company. What a burden that must have been for him just thinking about making sure I had health insurance. And I had never thought about that until now as a, as a, a parent and grandparent you know, trying to make sure my kids and grandkids have health insurance. But what a what a reward that my parents worked hard and made sure I had the best of care. I feel and that's guilty. the other thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally feel you on that. Like I, I would say in the past five, seven years have really said thank you to my parents because I, I've never lived without the medications that I needed. You know, my yeah. dad was independently employed. He had his own company and um, – you know, my mom worked around the clock just to make sure that I had everything. And I feel I'm saying this to the universe so I can release this guilt, but I would lie about testing my blood sugar. So those test strips would go in the trash and God knows how much they paid for that. They sacrificed. I didn't realize Yeah, yeah if I'd have known the sacrifice they were making to yeah. make sure I had it, all the care, I'd have even taken better, much better care Isn't of, that my, so? of myself. So and one of the, yeah. I haven't heard much lately, but is the diabetes uh, insulin shortage cost of insulin still going on, but just not being mentioned much? Because I, I mean, I have a fridge of, of some leftover insulin and I was trying to figure out how do I get this to all those young people who are rationing their, their insulin that drives me crazy. The really good question. And so in the past two months, I've interviewed representatives, the chief medical officer for Novo Nordisk. Representatives from Eli Lilly, um, from Mankind, which is inhalable insulin. Um, I did a follow-up episode with Novo Nordisk because I want to make sure, because they've put out a lot of programs during this time and the fact that people are trying to do a 90-day supply. And um, thankfully, I'm going to say the FDA, and I don't know if that's the correct word, but everybody's being a little loose on, and insurance companies are being, you know, knowing that we need these things. Um <clears throat> it's incredible. And I'm with you. I mean, and that's one of the questions I was going to ask you about the, the homeless population is it's my life mission to make sure that everybody has the medication that they need. And I'll be damned if it's because they can't afford it. Like, yeah. And I am literally putting up as we speak, um, a resources page on my website that gives you inch every resource that I can think of. And I Thank say you. it all the time, like just ask if you need something, I will find a way for you to get it. And oh, it just breaks. If my I could heart. be part of that with you. I, I would love to do all that I can because I just, I just, my heart couldn't take hearing people Rash. rationing to the point where they died. 
Yeah. And it's nice in a weird way. And, you know, there's horrible times that a lot of people in the diabetes community have come together to work together. And I don't believe in shaking my fist at pharmaceutical companies because that doesn't do any good. Let's, let's rally together. Let's work together. Let's figure out how to make resources available and, and work as a team instead of against each other. Um, I've been investing $100 a month into e Eli Lilly stock. Uh, so maybe I'll have a bigger say someday. <laughs> not, that, not that it'll ever add up to much, but. I, but, uh, I think that's great. That's a good way of, of looking at it. Um, and, you know, Nova Nordisk, and I'm, I'm not going to go into that, but I'm going to apply for something just to see if the process works as it should. And, um, and I think, and we're legally are not supposed to give away insulin because I think it's a controlled substance. I'm working on the legalities of that too, because I just think that's unfair that, I mean, if I got arrested for making sure somebody had insulin, that's, that's ridiculous. I had somebody show up the other night, um, di diabetic without any medicine and I took care of him. Yeah. And, um, uh, not long ago, a nursing home dumped a patient. You can read about it in the NBC News. Yeah. Ron Anderson, NBC News, or my name, you'll see the story. He was dumped here without insulin, without needles, without his monitor. And I gave him a monitor and gave him needles and gave him insulin. Um, and now he's well cared for. But, I mean what else do you do when somebody's dropped on your door in danger of dying? Reverend Bales, there was, it was last year or the year before, uh, I received an email from someone I don't know. They didn't leave their name, but said her husband had just come out of an incarceration and he'd been in there for quite some time. And they gave him, I think he had a vial of insulin. They'd been to the ER twice because of his blood sugar. They couldn't get a, an appointment because they didn't have medical insurance. And she was just literally I'm going to say begging for help. Like, what can I do? And so I reached out to everybody I could think of. I even contacted the insulin company and I said, what do we do? I don't even know these people. Um, but if they found me to find that, like I got to, I got to find out. So I emailed her yeah. everything that I could think of. And I don't know if she ever received it, if this man is still alive, but it's things like that, that break my heart. And I bring this up because I think of, and this is not a fair statement, in the, and please correct me if I'm wrong, in the homeless community, how many people, I mean, are, how are they getting the medications? I mean, I, I can't imagine. And if they have a poor diet, we're looking at, you know, type two diabetes and other, other health complications. So what, what are we doing? What do we need to do? Yeah, we, we have a clinic on site, which saves us. We, we serve thousands and we have a clinic on site but um, super hard for anybody to manage their diabetes while homeless. Oh it's yeah. almost impossible. It's, I mean, it's a battle for you and I. Yeah. But for somebody who's on the streets, who loses their insulin or can't get their medicine, it is treacherous. And that's why, um, I guess, ending up in a wheelchair without a leg has been good for me because it's like my secret weapon to relate to the people I work with. Right. And perhaps the first 200 men in line for lunch will be in a wheelchair or a walker and damaged terribly by unsupervised or un, you know, care, uh, lack of care for their diabetes. 
And same for the women, 150, 200 women will be in walkers and wheelchairs, mostly due to both type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes and being on their feet all the time and never able to, to rest their feet. And so it's helped me better relate to the people who I serve and work with, um, uh, I guess diabetes in general has, has helped me, uh, helped me understand suffering and uh, I better relate to the people who I work with because they suffer from so much. I think for a lot of us who are advocates, and I've never been an advocate, well, I mean, you know, this has been my life journey for the past, I'd say, seven years. I never talked about diabetes before, and I never talked about the struggle, but, you know, what, um, you know, the whole thought of, is this disease for us a blessing or a curse? And I look at it right now as a blessing because I get to help people. Yeah. I, I think it, I mean... Who knows what I would have done differently if I wouldn't have come down with this dreaded <laughs> disease. But uh, it has driven me to care about the underdog and care about people who are without. And perhaps I'd have been like that without diabetes, but I doubt it. I, I, I probably would have been much more confident and arrogant and, and not had the compassion for others who were suffering right so you're in the interview that i saw on um, regular heroes they they shared that your 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 wife and your medical community really didn't want you to go back to work so <laughs> that's that's yeah that's that's uh saying it mildly um actually teammates kept yelling at me to go home. Uh, my wife wanted me to stay home. My friends, my kids, um, my board of directors, and I, I wanted to speak to this because maybe this will make an impact. My board of directors actually tried to demand that I stay home. And I know it's because they think I'm valuable, right? Yeah. But I took it as, hey, you're treating me differently. Oh. Then others get treated, and ADA will not allow you oh. to make me stay home. I'm protected by the American Disabilities Act. Yeah. And that comes from maybe a chip on my shoulder, but, but I've had at times a person in my life who, who seriously, and I know they meant good, but they looked at me and they said, uh, they said, I don't know of anybody in a position like yours, Andy who's had type one diabetes so long, so you shouldn't be in that position. Right. Right. So I, I know they meant it well, but I took it as, I took it as an offense. Like, yeah, you're, you're judging me by something you don't know about and you're looking down on me because of type one diabetes and I'm not going to let you, I haven't let it stop me from doing anything. And I'm not going to let you stop me. From, yeah. from doing that and so when people have done that and it's been it's been infrequent but you know one time somebody told me uh if you don't go back to work i'll pay off your mortgage well yeah. rather than letting them pay off my mortgage and not going back to work i just doubled down and showed them <laughs> i'm going back to work right away like i set a world record for going back to work from a uh kidney transplant so normals three months 
the world record was six weeks. I went back to work in three weeks. That's like a a little stubborn. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I mean, I'm with you on that. Like I don't want to be told what I can and can't do. And I've kept my, I feel like I've kept myself alive this long. Why do you get to make that decision for me? At the same time, it's nice to have friends that are compassionate and yeah. I and taking it. it as compassion, right? Yeah, I mean, but it's hard. And, you know, I admitted, you know, this is a month or so ago, I did a Facebook Live where I, I got really emotional. It was because I'd, you know, gone, I just had a number of things that were complications that day. I had hardcore quarantined and it's just like life just didn't work that day. And I just said, you know, I, it was a realization. We are different. I mean, we have to think about things differently. But you know, take the right precautions and we're going to be okay. That's what I've done. I've, I've worn, my wife is a nurse on the COVID-19 floor at her hospital, charge nurse. She wears an N95 mask with a cloth mask over it. So that's exactly what I've done. When I'm in the midst of uh, our guests and everybody, I also wear goggles. I wear gloves and I've just taken extra precaution because of who I am and what disease I live with. But uh, I didn't want to be ruled out simply because of being type one from being able to do what others. And I couldn't think of my teammates on the front lines of this if I wasn't going to join them on the front lines. So it wouldn't have been good for me. And I know you'll understand it wouldn't be good for me emotionally yeah. um, or mentally to to be stuck at home worrying about my teammates on the front lines uh, it wouldn't have been good for me emotionally, which would have messed up my type one diabetes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Stress and the emotions there. I mean, it, yeah. it teaches you about that, but it is absolutely a factor in your, in your management. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to keep you long because I know you've got to get back to work, <laughs> but I want to say thank you Urban Bales, for all that you're doing. I, I, I I'm going to keep up with you and your team. I want to know about, when you arrive on June 12th at your destination and um, you're a hero for a lot of us. No, thank you. Not just for the homeless community <clears throat> and uh, you're an inspiration to a lot of people too. So you Thanks. keep doing what an, you're doing. I got an honor from JDRF in LA, the spirit of community award or something is one of the biggest honors of my life. Just, you know, just to, uh, just to make it this, this far. And, and now I'm strategizing, you know, how to be around for my grandkids, uh, brand new babe, grandbaby on the way, uh, grandbaby girl on the way, uh, high school graduation, right? Who, who'd ever thought about that back when we got handed the test tubes and said, you're going to make it 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And who would have thought, I mean, like I was discouraged to have children. So you have, you know, a beautiful family and grandkids and all those things. And, you know, everybody has their own choice with that. But yeah, I like that you've lived outside of the diabetes box. Um, no boundaries. Yeah. I give thanks to my wife on that. She took a risk. I mean, people told her not to marry me because I wouldn't make it past 40. And she had faith and married me and have a great family. How long have you guys been married? 41 years um, next week. 41 years. And we just went to Hawaii on our 40th. We were late on our 40th, but we went to Hawaii right before all this hit. So I'm so thankful we got that in. Yeah. Which island did you go to? 
We went to Maui and Kauai, and we did eight mile. For her, it was eight mile walk, but for me, it was an eight mile wheelchair ride. Every day, uh, we did eight mile um, adventures on on foot or on wheels. <laughs> Maui changed my life. That's a it's a beautiful beautiful island. Yeah. Well, um, we'll keep doing what you're doing. Thank I'll stay you. In, uh, I'm I'm going to continue to stalk you in a friendly way and uh, thank you. Keep up your good work, sir. You too. Thank you. And if we can team up to help with insulin supply or anything, I'd love to join you. Let me figure out how that's going to go down. And I'm going to, I'm making some calls as soon as we get off this. So thank you. All right. God All right. bless you. Reverend Bills might be a bit stubborn but his drive to help others is inspiring. This episode was actually released as he embarks on a 44-mile hand bike ride to raise money for the Union Rescue Mission, where he serves as CEO. I hope you'll take a couple of minutes to check out the show notes because I have links to all the ways that you can help he and his team reach their goal. Before I wrap up, I have a few last-minute things I'd like to share. Number one, be sure to check out all the cool things soon to happen at Courage Endures. There's a link in the show notes, and I feel pretty confident that they're going to be a long-term partner, so I've got some exciting announcements hopefully down the pipeline. Number two, don't forget to submit your Hit the Trails hashtag on social media and via email to Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. In case you didn't listen to Podcast 87, that's where I kind of announce things, I'm partnering with the National Park Service. We're encouraging all people living with diabetes and their loved ones to get outdoors and hit the trails. You can always use the hashtag real life diabetes so that we can all see where you're going, what you're doing and who you're with in a positive way. <laughs> that sounded kind of creepy. And finally, please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share all things social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at amber at diabetes and getting a message from you makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. I think that, yeah, that's a wrap, and I want to say stay safe and get outdoors. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. <laughs>